Well, good morning again. This morning, I'd like to start by talking about the question that you see on the screen. We've been talking about who is Jesus, but particularly the one below that, or the one that you see in your bulletin as the title for this message. The question is, where does evil come from? Where does evil come from? And by evil, I mean, where does sin, where does wrong, where does the bad that we see in the world, where does it come from? What is its source? There are some answers that we could come up with and that many have come up with. Perhaps the reason there's evil in the world is because that there are just some people in the world who are wicked and evil. Most of us are good people, but there's those few individuals who are bad and these evil people just make the rest of the world a mess for us. That's the message that we hear a lot in our world, our culture around us, that there's, there's just some bad people out there, and we need to blame all the problems we have on those bad people who are messing things up. Maybe that's where evil comes from. Maybe we have a more religious or spiritual answer. We say, well, evil comes from Satan. The, the devil brings evil. The devil made me do it. I sin. I do wrong things. I do things that hurt others and things against God's word because the devil, Satan, makes me do it. He is the one who is to blame. His forces of evils are responsible for the sin, the wrong, and the pain that we see in the world and in our lives. Well, that sounds religious. That, that sounds like something spiritual, but is it true? Maybe the truth of where evil comes from hits a little closer to home. In our passage today, Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23, Jesus is going to argue that evil actually comes from within, from our own hearts. And that's why doing spiritual rituals is not going to solve our ultimate problem, because what we really need is a changed heart. As we just said in that song, we need God to change our hearts. So if you're not already there, please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23. If you want to use that blue Bible that's in the seat back in front of you, you should find it on page 1002. 1002. We'll also have it up on the screen, but once you are there, Mark, big seven, little 14, I'd ask you to please stand to honor the reading of God's word and then follow along. I'm going to read our passage for today. Again, Mark seven, I'm starting in verse 14. I'll read through verse 23. Begins in verse 14 with Jesus, and it says, he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Verse 17 then says, And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, 
foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's pray. God, I pray that these hard words from our Lord would humble us. May they humble us enough to be convicted by your word, to realize that the ultimate problem we have is the sin, the evil that is in our own heart. Help us to realize that there's not a religious ritual or practice we can do that will fix us, but instead what we need is you and you alone. We need you to cleanse our heart. Humble us to receive that truth and to act on it by seeking to know you and share you with others because you, Jesus, are the only one who can save. May you be our focus today so that everything else decreases, fades away, and we can see that you are the solution to our heart problem. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, before we talk about the passage that we're at, I need to back up a little bit and kind of look at the context of where we are coming from. It's been a few weeks, so we had a couple special things that kind of threw off the way. I wanted to go through it. We'd like to go passage by passage through here, but if you remember, a couple weeks ago we had a joint service, and I thought the passage that came after this fit with that event, and then uh, Pastor Tom was going to go on to the next one anyway. So now we're coming back to this passage today. And the context we need to remember is that this is a conflict between Jesus and some religious leaders over tradition or ritual versus God's word. This is what happened back in verses 1 through 13. Now, I'm not going to go back and read all of that, but what we saw in that passage was Jesus being challenged by a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees and their scribes. They ask him a question about religious traditions and rituals, specifically about washing hands and eating certain kinds of food. Look back at verse 5. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? They didn't wash their hands in the proper way that their ritual said they should. And Jesus was very frustrated with the Pharisees that they do not understand the real problem, the real stakes of what's going on here. Look at verses 6 through 8. Jesus said to them, to these religious leaders, well did Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He said, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then Jesus said, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. When we talked about this passage, we focused on that, that phrase, tradition of men. And we talked about how the traditions that we have are not the same as God's word. The Pharisees thought they were. They made them equal or greater than God's word. But Jesus told them here that when you do that, you are not truly worshiping God. You're really worshiping yourself and what you can do. And by following traditions over God's word, it leads you to reject what God has said. And now today, this conversation is continuing, and Jesus is going on to share with them that the real problem is much different and far worse than they know. And so in our text today, Jesus starts by pointing out that rituals do not solve our ultimate problem. Rituals do not solve our ultimate 
problem. Jesus has talked about traditions, but now he tries to make the point clearer. He calls together the people, the crowd, to gather around and hear and understand what he has to say. And in verse 15, he gives us the main principle we're focusing on today, that nothing that is outside of us coming in defiles. Instead, we are defiled by what comes out of our hearts, the thoughts, words, and actions that come out of our hearts. Look at verses 14 and 15. He called the people to him again, said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what? Defile. Some translations add verse 16, which has another call to hear, but the rest of the passage focuses on unpacking what we just read in verse 15. In fact, when we get to verse 17, the disciples are alone with Jesus and they ask him, can you explain this parable, this teaching more to us? They don't quite understand. They often did this when they were alone with Jesus. They'd ask him to explain more of what he just said. Jesus, though, is, um, I don't know if disappointed is too strong a word, but, but maybe it is that he's disappointed that they're still without understanding, that they're dull to God's truth. As he says in 17 and 18, when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, then are you also without understanding? He's trying to drive home to them that what he is sharing is extremely important. In fact, I feel this is one of the key truths to understanding true Christian faith is what Jesus is sharing here. This is something that all true Christians, all those who claim to follow Christ, all those who really know him should come to understand this. This truth Jesus is sharing is life-changing, but it is difficult to grasp. The good news is the disciples are asking questions. They're growing in their understanding of Jesus. They want to grow more, to seek him more. And so Jesus graciously explains to them. He explains a very simple truth through a little illustration. It says, the food does not go into our mouths and then into our hearts, the core of our being. No, it goes into our stomachs and then out of the body. Verses 18 and 19 say, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it it does not enter his heart, but the food enters his stomach and is then expelled. Uh, Something fun with with that. Expelled there is our English translators being kind. The literal phrase is into the latrine, into the sewer, into the toilet. That's what happens to food. It comes in, it goes out. Jesus' point is that it cannot defile our heart. And Mark, in his parentheses there, he brings out the principle here. He's saying Jesus, really by doing this, is declaring all foods clean, purified, acceptable to God. This would have been life-changing for his disciples because they grew up with some very strict dietary rules and laws, and the Pharisees took great pride in we eat this, we don't eat that, that makes us better. The reason the laws were given was so that God's people would focus on God, that they'd see if we do this, this is how we focus on God, how we commit to him, how we see how he is different, he is holy, he is separate. That was the reason they were given, but instead people like the Pharisees had twisted them into a performance. I do this and this, that makes me better. But now Jesus has come 
and salvation through faith and trust in him. And so he declares all foods clean. And the rest of the New Testament shares that perspective. 1 Corinthians 8 says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. God doesn't judge the particular food we're eating. If our heart has been made right and pure with God, then food rules are unnecessary. Now, one of the disciples, Peter, and really probably the rest of them, they didn't quite get this. They needed another lesson. So years later, Peter has a vision where the Lord appears to him and shows him all these animals he's not supposed to eat. And we read in Acts 10 that there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, saying, what God has made clean, do not call common. And after that, then Peter grasped it. But the principle we're talking about here is not just about food. I wouldn't spend a service talking about something just relating to food. No, it it goes beyond that. What Jesus is conveying here is that the material things in this world, the things in the world around us, they do not in and of themselves, by themselves, corrupt our hearts. The outside things are not what corrupt our hearts. Uh, Paul would write about this later in 1 Timothy 4. He says, everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected as if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. For our purposes today, the larger point Jesus is driving at is that living by these religious rules, do this, don't do that, especially those rules that are made up by men, living by those rules does not bring us closer to God. Pulling out a random verse of the Old Testament saying, I'm going to do this and this will make me right with God, that it just doesn't work. That was the Pharisees' perspective. They thought to themselves, you know, things aren't going well for our people. The Romans are in charge. We're not in charge of our destiny. Life is hard. If, if these people, if they just learned to wash their hands correctly, if they followed all the rituals that we said, then God would bless us. He would bless our people. He would bless our nation. All we need to do is the right thing all the time, and then God will have to smile on us. That may sound religious, but Jesus says that's the wrong attitude because the focus is in the wrong place. They put their focus on what they were doing rather than on who God is and what he does. And more importantly, Jesus says it just doesn't work because those things are not what is polluting our heart in the first place. So creating a rule to abstain, well, I'm not going to do this or that, that doesn't solve the problem of our heart. We talked more about this when we looked at this a couple weeks ago. The application there is to not live by non-biblical rules, to not force them on others, to not say real Christians do that. this, real Christians don't do that. That is not helpful. In fact, uh, Paul will describe that as a form of slavery. You're binding yourself to those rules while in Christ you can discover true freedom. He says in Galatians, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's there particularly talking about following these rules to earn favor with God. So in many ways, he's kind of reviewing what he said last week, but this kind of gets to the root of the problem here. If those rituals can't solve our ultimate problem, why not? Well, because our problem is our heart. Our problem is 
our heart. Those outside factors, they can influence us, sure. They can impact us, but they are not the source of evil in our lives. Jesus is saying the heart is the source of evil and sin. Look what he says in verses 20 and 21. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. And at the beginning of verse 21, he says, for from within, out of the heart of man. That is where the source is, out of our heart. And that is consistent with the rest of Scripture. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, to be clear here, when I say heart, I'm not talking about the blood pumping organ in our body. I'm not talking about that. I'm using a very common description in the Bible, even in our day, to describe really the center of who we are, our thoughts, emotion, will, our heart. When we tell somebody, I love you with all my heart, we don't mean I love you with all of this blood pumping organ. We mean all of me loves you. Now, you may have a question about that. You may say, but how does that happen? How can the heart be the source? How does the heart bring evil or sin into our lives? How does that happen? Well, Jesus doesn't dive into that here, but let's go over to another passage, James. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. James fleshes this out for us. He says, each person is tempted, tempted to sin, when he is lured and enticed by what his own desire, the things he wants in his heart. And then that desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James is telling us that the outside factors, the temptations are not what bring sin into our lives. They're merely feeding the sinful desire that is already inside of us. Friends, the truth is that our hearts are selfish. We think about ourselves. We want what is good for ourselves. We want what we want when we want it. And what we want to do is what we think helps us. And if God says something and we think that doesn't help us, then we rebel against that. We reject that because we think we know what is best. We desire something and sin presents a way for us to, at least we think, get that thing we want. And so we choose to sin. Whether that thing we want is pleasure or comfort or happiness or status, whatever it is, if sin presents a way, we choose that way because we want something in our heart. We sin, we rebel against God, and that earns us physical death as well as eternal death. This is the problem that every single human being has. Scholar Danny Aiken put it this way, every human heart has the root of every human sin in it. The basic problem of fallen humanity is not what we do, but who we are. We are sinners at heart. Our hearts are opposed to God. And you know what? You can see this if you look at people. If you look closely enough, you can see these sinful hearts. Many of you know I have a young daughter. She's a year and a half old. She is very cute. She is also a sinner. <laughs> she can be selfish. She can be disobedient. 
And I see this played out every day. She has a desire. She wants something. She knows she's not supposed to do it, but she sins to obtain it. She sees something, wants it, acts on it. And Christine and I are, are, are working on her. And by saying this, I'm not insulting my daughter. I'm pointing out a fact. We are all sinners. By nature, we want things that help us, and we rebel against God to get them. We all have the same problem. Now, unlike Maria, you might not stand on chairs or stand on tables or throw your food on the ground when mommy and daddy tell you not to. You might not do those things, but you still choose to disobey God. How do you do that? Well, Jesus shows us in the next two verses. He gives us a list of 13 different sinful thoughts and actions that come from an impure heart. Now, different translations might be slightly different, but the point is these lists show us the fruit, the result of a heart that is enslaved to sin. Here's what mine says, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Now, what I could do is spend the rest of the time talking about each of those words, what they mean, what it looks like in our lives, but I'm not going to do that because I'm afraid if I steered into that, that we'd miss the main point of this passage. And the main point is that all these sins, all sin, whatever they are, they come from our internal sinful desires. They come from the inside and they are what defile our hearts and souls. The point is that nobody puts those things in us. Nobody throws theft into your life that now you are a thief. I put it into you. No, it comes out of our heart. Satan doesn't put sin into our heart. The world doesn't put sin into our heart. We do it naturally. By nature, our hearts are corrupt. Jesus would have many conversations about that. Another time he's talking to a Pharisee in Luke 11. The Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. He's saying you focus on these rituals, these rules, but it would be just like if you took those coffee cups and you washed and scrubbed the outside and left them like that on the inside. You're not dealing with the problem. It's our hearts that reveal who we truly are and what we want through our thoughts and actions. Jesus would say in another place in Matthew 12 to these same people, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If God has changed our heart, then out of our good treasure we bring forth good, but an evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. He's saying out of our heart is where we act and how we sin. Maybe you still have questions, though. Well, what does that look like? Well, I'm going to pick one example from that passage, that list that we were given in verses 21 and 22. The word I'm going to pick is the second one, sexual immorality or lust. Where does that come from? Does that come from we see a temptation and that brings us into that? Well, that's not what Jesus says. Look what he says in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her. Where? In his heart. The point he's saying is you do not sin sexually by accident. 
It's not just something, oops, it happens. No, you do it because you want to. No one is forced by someone else to sin. You sin because it's what you want to do. That's why any form of sexual abuse cannot be blamed on the victim, but on the abuser. They forced it there. That's why you and I are accountable for our sins. Yes, Satan may bring temptation, absolutely, but we choose to sin, and we are held accountable for it. Jesus brings out that point one more time in the last verse, verse 23. He says, our sin comes from the inside, within our hearts, our desires. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The Pharisees had approached Jesus, and this is that they said something short, but what they were really saying is, Jesus, the problem in our day and age is people like your disciples. They aren't washing their hands the right way. It's people like them and our other neighbors who don't follow God's rules. They are the greatest spiritual problem that we are facing right now. And Jesus says, no, no, the problem is not them. The problem is that your hearts are not right with God. Friends, this is a powerful truth that is so easy for us to get backwards. We want to. It's so easy to blame someone else for our sin, for evil, for the problems, the wrong in the world. It's so easy to say, it's that person, it's those people, it's Satan, it's that. That is the issue. Friends, let me tell you the truth. Satan is not your biggest problem. The world around us is not your biggest problem. The culture we live in is not your biggest problem. The views of culture are not your biggest problem. Whatever it is, nationalism or fascism, those are not your biggest problem. Or maybe on the other side, liberalism, wokeism, that is not your biggest problem. The government is not your biggest problem. That hard teacher you have in school is not your biggest problem. That difficult boss or coworker, they are not your biggest problem. Your neighbor is not your biggest problem. That family member who tries your patience is not your biggest problem. You are your biggest problem. You and your sinful heart that chooses to rebel against God. As Pastor J.C. Ryle puts it, we need no bad company to teach us and no devil to tempt us in order to run to sin. We have within us the beginning of every sin under heaven. Friends, to misunderstand this, that is pride, that is self-righteousness, to say, I've got to figure out it's everyone else, that is pride. And God tells us that he opposes the proud. And the reality is you could remove every source of temptation from your life. You could push it all away, you could completely isolate yourself alone, there is no other external temptations, it's just you alone in an isolation chamber, and guess what, your sin is still with you. Because it's not from out there, it's from in here. At birth, our hearts are broken and infected with the disease of sin. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in the book of Romans. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We cannot change on our own. Look what he says in chapter 7. He says, I do not do the good I want. The evil I do not want is what I keep on doing he has sin in him. He cannot do the good he wants to do. So the truth is, there's really no such thing as a good person. 
Now, I understand what people mean when they say that. I don't get bent out of shape if somebody says, oh, he's a good person. I don't get, get, it doesn't bother me when someone says that. But the truth is, we are all captivated and enslaved to sin. Now, again, let me be clear. Yes, other people may sin against you. They may sin against you or those you love in horrible and horrific ways, and they will be held accountable for those sins. Absolutely. But each of us individually, our bigger problem is that we are sinners ourselves. I like how Pastor Charles Spurgeon put it. He said, sin is not a thing extra that comes to us. Sin is not a thing that afflicts us like robbers who break into the house at night. Sin is not like that. No, it is a tenant of the soul dwelling within us as in its own house. Sin lives with us. It's not something extra that's come in. It's here with us from the beginning. That's where Jesus stops, but I won't stop there today for you because what do we do about that? Our only solution then is heart change through Jesus Christ. As we sang in the song, change my heart, O God. Jesus is building the case here that if we want a pure heart, if we want to get rid of evil from our life, then our heart needs to be fixed and restarted. Scripture uses words like we need to be regenerated, we need to be born again, the old needs to die, and the new needs to come. This is Jesus' focus. He's not interested in the rules and the traditions of men, but in heart change. No other solution works. Our hearts cannot be fixed. They cannot be mended, repaired. There's not a patch or an update coming through to our heart. No, they need to be reborn. As Spurgeon put it again, the only sure cure for all sin, the only cure for all sin is the grace of God in the heart. The only physician for sin is the Lord Jesus. And his heavenly surgery is this, It lies in the renewing of the heart by grace through the work of the Holy Spirit who works by the gospel, the good news. That is the only cure, God working in our hearts. And that is the difference between those who know God and those who do not. God has worked in their hearts. Without Jesus, our minds, our consciences, they're defiled, they're offensive to God. This is one passage I love that brings this across so clearly. 1 Corinthians 6. It's another list similar to what Jesus does, but note the ending because it's very different. Paul's writing, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, like we just talked about, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then the gut punch here, he says, such were some of you. You were like this. But what's the difference? The difference is you were washed. You were sanctified, set apart. You were justified and made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Praise God for His gospel, His good news. Through Jesus Christ, we can have a changed heart. Whatever our past was, He can change our heart. 
You saw a picture of that just today at the very beginning of the service. We had a baptism. That's what baptism pictures. You have died to that sin, that old way, and you have risen again to new life, new hope, a new heart in Christ. So what? If our only solution is heart change, what do we need? What should we do? Well, we should know and share Jesus. We should know and share Jesus. Maybe you're here and you think, you know, I don't know if God's changed my heart. I don't know if I, if I know Jesus or have a relationship with him. I'm not sure if I'm a true believer or I'm a true Christian. Well, the place to start is knowing Jesus. It's taking that step to, to pray, call out to him and say, I'm turning away from the sin that lies in my heart and I am trusting Jesus. I am rejecting my heart of sin. I'm asking Christ to change my heart from the inside out. Again, you cannot fix yourself. There's no list of things I can give you that if you take these things, check them off, then your heart is right and you're good. It doesn't exist. It doesn't work. You need Jesus to change your heart. I'd encourage you, if you're here and your heart has not been changed by Christ, then talk to me about it. Talk to someone about that. Talk to me or Pastor Tom or someone else and say, please tell me how my heart can change and I can know Christ. Now for those who, those who do know Christ, uh, knowing Jesus doesn't stop then at coming to him for salvation. These, this passage and the verses we've read are a reminder to us to first and foremost care for our hearts rather than trying to do correct behavior, follow certain rules, but instead care for our hearts. And the best way to care for our hearts is to know Jesus more. And yes, 100%, that will impact our behavior. You'll live differently, but it starts with knowing and loving him. Think about it. If there was a random person came up to you on the street and said, hey, give me your lunch, you'd probably pause for a minute. You'd probably have some follow-up questions. Maybe you would do it at some point, but it wouldn't be your first response. But if the person that you loved most in all the world said, hey, can you give me some of that food? you'd be much quicker to respond to that. The reason is because you love that person. And if we want to obey God, then we should grow in loving Jesus. Because if we love him, then we find it easy to do what he says. One of my favorite books is a book called The Gospel Primer, and its author Milton Vincent puts this, eyes do not rove nor fleshly lust rule when the heart is fat with the love of Jesus. When we love Jesus, then we don't choose to sin. Then we want him, and he alone is the one who can change us and redeem our hearts. And as we know him then, we'll want to share that with others. We'll want to share Jesus with those in our lives. We'll want to tell our friends, our relatives, our acquaintances and neighbors, Jesus changes hearts. There are many ways I can apply this, but I one that, that struck me as I was preparing for this message is we, this is something to share with children. Those who are young, those who are our children, or if you have grandchildren, share this with them. Jesus changes heart, hearts. Recognize the truth that children sin because they are sinners with an evil heart. This was a very convicting quote from Pastor J.C. Ryle. He said, the beginning of all wickedness is within. And if parents were half as diligent in praying for their children's conversion as they are in keeping their children from bad company, 
then their children would turn out far better than they do. Now, let me be clear here. We, we can't control our children's salvation. It's not that we determine whether or not a child knows Jesus, but we should pray for that. You say, well, but pastor, my kids are already Christians. Okay, well then pray that they would love Jesus more because if they love him more, then they will want to obey and follow him. Pray that your loved ones would know and love Jesus. Share with them how good and worthy Jesus is to be loved. Brothers and sisters, this passage really impacted my heart as I was reading this. Jesus wants us to see so clearly that our traditions and rules do not save us, that they do not make us holy because the problem is our heart. We should pray that we would know Jesus more, that he would change our heart and pray for opportunities to share how he changes hearts. Danny Aiken put it this way, the world says the problem's out there. The problem is out there. That's the problem. The solution is to ask the question, what can I do about what's going on out there? The Bible says the problem is inside us. And the answer is what Christ has done, what he's already done for us. He came, he lived for us. He died to pay for our sin. He rose again to change us. So let, let me try to bring this home to us. You have a choice about how you live your life and what you think about and what you talk about and what uh, you focus on. And you can choose, if you'd like, you can choose to spend your life complaining about the problems that are outside there. You can spend your life worrying about this or that that happens in the culture in the world. I can't believe the president did that or former president, whatever president you're thinking of, I can't believe that they did that. I can't believe that politician said that. You know, it's those schools, they're what's messing up our kids and our future. It's that TV and movies, they're polluting the minds. If the music was different, then things would be different now. You know, it's that family member I have, they make those wrong decisions and that's why there's so many problems in my life. It's that friend, I thought they were a friend, but they really hurt me, they need to get right with God. That, that's the biggest problem I have right now. If this situation or problem I'm dealing with right now, if it was different, if things were, were fixed the way I like, then, then things would, would be better. It's this outside problem. That's, that's the real issue in my life. So you can choose to do that. You can choose to live your life complaining about those things. Or, or to use a word Pastor Tom used last week, you can beg Jesus to deal with the source of all your problems, the source of evil in your life, which is your sinful heart. I really liked how the scholar Russell Moore put it. He said, real spiritual warfare isn't against them, but against us. Real spiritual warfare happens when we repent of sin, when we turn from the wrong we do from our hearts, when we depend on grace, and then when having done all else, we stand. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Jesus isn't saying there's no wrong out in the world, there's no evil, there's no temptation. He's not denying that. This passage does not mean that, oh, so we should never speak about God's truth where it'd be helpful or appropriate. It doesn't mean that at all. We should stand up for the weak, the defenseless, for what God has said. But what Jesus is driving at is that our primary focus should be on what he can change. And what he can change is his people's hearts. 
the hearts of those who know him and have a relationship with him. That should be our focus. And then we can trust him to take care of the rest. Because friends, if our hearts change, that is when communities change. That is when cultures changed. Pastor Tom spoke very well about that last week, speaking about revival. It has happened before in history. It can happen again. When people know Jesus, that is when things change. If I haven't been completely transparent and honest, let me, let me be so now. I, I often get tired. I get tired hearing Christians, including myself. This isn't a pointing fingers. This is including myself. I get tired hearing Christians complain about the sinful world. Yeah, the world is sinful. Absolutely. I get it. It's our human nature to, to point the fingers. I get it. I understand it. But I get tired of it. Because, friends, we know the solution to those problems out there. The solution is Jesus changing hearts. That's what fixes those problems, not complaining about it, but by sharing Jesus. We can do something about it. We can tell others Jesus changes hearts. We can show people that knowing Jesus is better, that living for Jesus is better, because Jesus is and has always been in the business of changing hearts. Has he changed yours? If he hasn't, then I encourage you to ask him to. Call out to him. Beg him in prayer. Say, Jesus, please change my heart. Show me how to repent, turn from sin, believe in you. And if he has changed your heart, well, then how about we take the time right now to praise him because he alone is worthy.